Welcome to Sane Split, a podcast about staying sane when relationships end. I am AJ Jakubowska, family law lawyer and mediator. Just like you, I'm human. I understand what can happen when people separate. Lots of questions swirling around like confetti. Lots of uncertainty, perhaps anger, disappointment, or even pain. Sleepless nights, shallow breathing. Will I ever be happy again? Will the kids be okay? How much is all this going to cost? All of these questions are human and you're not alone. This podcast features my thoughts about separation and my interviews with other humans who help people when their relationships end. People who assist with legal issues, who mediate, who look after hearts and minds, and even after the pocketbook. People who might help you plan your future. What you will hear is not legal advice. These are dialogues primarily about the human aspect of separation. We will try to stay away from legal lingo. It's humans talking to humans. I hope that something you hear will help you navigate your way to a sane split. Welcome and thanks for tuning in. We are drawing close to the end of season two of the podcast. Hard to believe. I thank you all very much for your support. Around March 1, the news media were filled with stories, articles about amendments, changes to the Divorce Act, the first substantial amendments to the legislation in about 20 years. Some of these articles were accurate. Some were a little sensationalist, uh, creating the impression, for example, that family courts have never taken domestic and family violence into account in decisions related to children, that the amendments were introducing a brand new element into the discussion. That is simply inaccurate. Some of the articles meant well, but missed the mark, likely because the author was not quite familiar enough with the subject matter. Interestingly for me, there has been little focus on sister amendments to provincial Ontario legislation, and that is the Children's Law Reform Act. Not a sexy subject, I guess. Uh, Perhaps it does not speak to readers as obviously as the word divorce in Divorce Act. I always worry about misleading or incomplete information. So I'm going to try and round out some of the discussion, perhaps fill in some gaps. And I'm going to do it in a couple of episodes. Today, the focus will be first on a big picture perspective on these amendments. Second, I will talk about very specific and very important changes to the language we will now use when we speak about arrangements for children following a separation. And third, I will spend some time talking about the family justice system's increased emphasis on alternative dispute resolution with the introduction of a new phrase in the legislation, and that is 
family dispute resolution process. A very important step from my perspective, and one which I hope will expose more Canadians in general and Ontarians in particular for our purposes to alternative ways of resolving their family law disputes by means other than going to court. Let's begin with some general concepts. We family law lawyers operate within the concurrent jurisdiction over family law issues of both the federal and provincial governments. Sounds like a mouthful, I know. Let me make what I said sound a little more practical. When a client comes to see me, I have to determine really early on what legislation I will be using to determine their rights and obligations. And if the matter ends up before the court, the legislation I will be relying on to make my client's claims. Okay, a bit of legal lingo again, and that's not what I like, but sometimes it's hard to get away from it. When I am before the court and asking for child support from my client, I have to be able to tell the judge which law I'm using for my request, what the request is based on. I hope this makes things a little more clear. For the purposes of this show, we are focusing on issues related to children when a couple separates. Remember that. And we are doing that because the amendments, the changes which came into force on March 1, related to those areas of the law. So not support, not property issues. We are talking about children's issues. So back to my choice of legislation to determine my client's rights and obligations. I have a choice of either the Divorce Act or the Children's Law Reform Act. When do these apply? Under what circumstances? Well, one way to explain this is to say that the CLRA, the Children's Law Reform Act, applies to all parents and non-parents seeking rights to children if they are resident in Ontario, but only if a divorce is not involved. When it is, the Divorce Act applies. Let's look at this practically. The CLRA always applies to common law parents. Why? Because a divorce will never be an issue in their case. They weren't married. The CLRA would also apply to married people, married parents, if neither of them was seeking a divorce. But in a classic case of the separation of a married couple, a divorce is usually requested by one spouse or the other, and that is when the Divorce Act applies. Now, to complicate things, There are some provisions in the CLRA which you will not find in the Divorce Act. For example, Section 30, which relates to assessments. We use that section if we are requesting such an assessment, even for a couple seeking a divorce. 
At this point, some of you may be a little puzzled, perhaps confused. You might ask, what do you mean asking for divorce? Isn't the whole thing I'm asking for a divorce? As in, isn't divorce used to describe the entire case? The public uses that phrase a fair bit, and sometimes that does create a bit of confusion. But to clarify, a divorce is a specific and very distinct claim in a case between two married people. The divorce is a declaration by the court that the marriage is dissolved. I said a specific and distinct claim. Like what other claim, for example? Well, there are other types of claims in a typical family law case, and these can be claims related to children, to support, to property issues. These are all distinct claims, and the request for divorce is one of them. So when we family law lawyers talk about a divorce, unlike the public, we're not talking about the entire case. We are talking about the specific claim for the dissolution of the marriage. And if that claim is made in a family law case involving children, the Divorce Act applies, and now the amended Divorce Act. The changes which came into force on March 1 are the same for the Divorce Act and the Children's Law Reform Act. So we can talk about these two acts interchangeably when we're talking about the amendments. When parents separate and disagree about arrangements for their kids after the separation, the dialogue often devolves into a contest and the public often talks about such fights as parents using their children as pawns or parents putting the children in the middle of their fight. The parents often come into this fight with certain ideas, uh, their understanding of various terms which they will be using in this battle. And traditionally, these terms included the words custody and access. Many Ontarians who have never actually worked with these terms in the context of a separation misunderstood what they stood for. And over the years, different people's interpretations of those terms created value judgments around them. So, for example, parents who had custody were perceived as winners, whereas parents who only had access were seen as losers. For some time now, there has been a movement within the family justice system to neutralize the playing field for parents, to make it more even. And this has included a push to change the wording we use around arrangements for children. The recent amendments to the legislation have brought some such changes to the applause of lawyers, judges, and everyone involved in family law. We are no longer using the terms custody and access, they are now replaced with decision-making responsibility and parenting time. We all think that these new terms are less loaded with values 
those values which have traditionally made people think of themselves as winners and losers in a fight related to their children. In fact, the new terms actually describe the old terms, and this is what I mean. Custody actually meant decision-making responsibility, and access was parenting time. So we have essentially substituted labels with active descriptions. Because the amendments are very recent, these new words are not yet rolling off our tongues. And here I'm talking about family law lawyers and judges, but that will happen over time. We also need a bit of time to test drive these new phrases. And here I mean the practicality of how they will be applied. So in the past, for example, one parent had custody and primary residence, and the other parent had access. Now, the word in this example, the custody word, will be replaced with decision-making responsibility, but both parents will have parenting time. I can tell you that we are all expected to use this new terminology when we deal with family law cases before the court and in all court documents, which have all been amended to reflect the new language. So that new terminology is being used already. My third area of focus today, the first being the general comments, the second being the new terminology around child-related arrangement, the third area is the renewed emphasis on the importance of trying alternative forms of dispute resolution for family disputes. I say renewed emphasis because the idea that parents try to resolve their differences through negotiation, mediation, or collaborative law is nothing new. For years now, family judges and many, many family law lawyers have encouraged parents to resolve their disputes outside the court system. But the amendments, the current amendments to the legislation, take this encouragement one step further. In fact, the new language in the relevant sections of these acts creates a positive obligation on parents to try negotiation, mediation, or collaborative law before asking family court for assistance. Here, for example, is the wording of Section 7.3 of the now-amended Divorce Act. The heading of the section is Family Dispute Resolution Process. 7.3. To the extent that it is appropriate to do so, the parties to a proceeding shall try to resolve the matters that may be the subject of an order under this act through a family dispute resolution process. And then family dispute resolution process is defined as follows in section two bracket one bracket. Family dispute resolution process means a process outside of court that is used by parties to a family law dispute 
to attempt to resolve any matters in dispute, including negotiation, mediation, and collaborative law. And there is a corresponding duty on family law lawyers to discuss these options with their clients. Now, Section 7.3 begins with the words, to the extent that it is appropriate to do so. And this is important. Not every case can be resolved through negotiation, mediation, or collaborative law. Uh, where there is domestic violence or a power imbalance of any kind, and this does not have to be limited to physical or mental abuse. An imbalance of power can involve, for example, unequal access to financial resources and one party using that against the other. In such situations, these alternative methods of resolving the dispute what the legislation calls family dispute resolution processes may not be suitable. So overall, the push is to have more parents resolve their parenting issues without resorting to the courts. And the courts themselves will work hard on ensuring that parents actually try doing that before a family court judge is involved in making an order about their child or children. Again, given this legislation is very new, we are all learning as we go. So, for example, one question raised is whether a family court judge will actually suspend a court case until the parties try mediation. I don't have an answer to this question, and neither do my colleagues. I actually think the answer depends on the circumstances of a particular case. Clearly, if the matter before the court is urgent, for example, a parent has been denied contact with their child for some time, negotiation and mediation may not be a viable option, and a quick decision by the court is required, an order to address this problem. But if two parents are initially involved in a court case and have not tried mediation, I could see a judge strongly encouraging them to do so. And they are already expected to know what mediation is because let's remember, lawyers now have a responsibility to advise their clients of these family dispute resolution processes very early on. For those who come to court without lawyers, there will also be opportunities for them to learn about these alternative ways of sorting out their differences. I am very happy about these changes and this renewed push to mediation. As a family mediator myself, I have long believed in this process being a valuable alternative to court battles. There are many reasons I'm sold on family mediation, and I have spoken about them at some length in previous episodes and also blogged about them in some detail. The amendments to the legislation have added very positive fuel, rocket fuel, if you will, to the idea that parents should do everything they can to make arrangements for their children through dialogue 
and together rather than have those arrangements imposed on them by stranger to their family and that is a family court judge. I hope you are finding the information I am providing helpful. I look forward to sharing more with you about these sweeping and very impactful amendments. Information is a source of strength. Remember that. The more of it you have, the better able you will be to understand the issues in your family law case. After all, it's about having a sane split. Thank you for listening. I hope you will tune in again. If you have any questions or comments, you can reach me through my website, separationinontario.com. Subscribing to the podcast through your favorite app will make future episodes available to you automatically. Signing off for now.